there's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Uh, we, you know, 
you're going to be up here in the Pacific Northwest here shortly, and so we've been kind of talking back and forth uh, and whatnot, but uh, glad to have you guys on the show. Thank you. Yes, we're happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, uh, Monica, I'm going to start with you. Uh, You know, we've had you on the show uh, in the past, but, you know, for uh, we got – much bigger, broader audience now. Can you just uh, uh, fill the audience in a little bit about yourself and what got you into uh, the Bigfoot Sasquatch subject? Um, Well, I was fortunate enough to grow up on the West Coast, and um, I was also fortunate enough to have a grandfather who was very interested in all kinds of legends and uh, strange things. He was into Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, and he really encouraged that in my brother and I from a very young age. Um, He'd get us books on the subject, and uh, we vacationed every summer in, a, at the time, a relatively remote part of uh, southwestern Oregon. So, I mean, that's prime Sasquatch territory, and um, being out in that and having that influence from a young age, of course, brought me to the subject and you know I grew up and moved to Texas and uh, I was living in East Texas one night Uh, I was watching the legend of Boggy Creek for the millionth time like everybody else (laughs) and um, I realized that you know Falk Arkansas Falk Falk is not far from where I was at the time so I googled it um, and it really was only two or three hours from where I lived at the time and Um, then I Googled, or I don't even know if Google was a thing back then. I searched the internet for, um, Bigfoot and Texas, and it led me to the TBRC and I joined that group, um, rose through the ranks, became a director and was with them for a long time and, um, just really got out there and got into it. And it's, it's fun. It's interesting. Texas is a little challenging. I prefer, um, to do my research in the Pacific Northwest. It's just there's so much more land that's available to you. And Texas, while it's a big state, um, what a lot of people don't realize is it's almost entirely privately owned. It's very difficult to get onto land if you don't know somebody. So to do the the research here is not the easiest thing. Um, but, you know, Shelly and I have this new podcast that I know that I'm really excited about, and I think Shelly is too, and we're going to be traveling all over the South Um looking for um, just a myriad of creatures and legends and uh, unusual reports and missing people and missing everything. So it's, it's exciting. It's just really exciting how it's evolved for us. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about it. Uh, and, and, and the shows that I've, I've uh, well, I've, I've listened to every show so far and um, stellar stuff and exciting stuff. And you guys really have um, a a great outreach and know a lot of people and know a lot about the history and, and, and we'll definitely touch upon this in a little bit here, but Shelly, uh, I know you really well, Shelly, and you're like a sister mm-hmm. to me, but you know, for those out there that are listening for the first time, what do mm-hmm. they need to know about Shelly Compton? How'd you get into this, this, this crazy field? Oh, well, um, see. well, my husband and I have been, together a little over 30 years and all of the time I've ever known him he's always told me a story 
about here down in South Texas where him and another friend of ours would go hunting and uh, out in uh, near the big thicket here in, in, in South Texas. And one night he went out to um, meet up with his buddy, but his buddy wasn't showing up till later the next morning, I believe. And my husband was out there camping alone, basically sleeping bag on the ground with a campfire, his weapon, and uh, something came up and circled his camp and was breaking trees and winds and making all kinds of ruckus and scared him half to death. And for years he would tell me the story, and I just would sit there and just ponder and talk to him about what it possibly could be because Bigfoot really wasn't, you know, even though I was always infatuated with the idea and watching, you know, everything I could about it, I, it just never occurred to me that it was in Texas. And finally one day I said, that was a Bigfoot, wasn't it? And he said, I just didn't want you to think I was crazy. And so from that day forward, then, which he had had another encounter with a group of friends where they wanted, they saw, saw something of another story, but um, after that happened, I was just 1,000% focused and, and did a couple of years of research online and then that led me to some groups, and I told my husband, I'm going to get to know some people. I'm going to find out. I'm going to go. I want to do this, and um, I want to dedicate my time to Bigfoot research. I, I, it's important. I'm excited because my husband is, I've known him all my life pretty much, and he's not a liar, and I, I just was hooked, and um, that's how I got involved kind of with you and with Monica through, you know, various friends and such, and being, though, that I'm from Texas, and um, I was raised in a law enforcement family, I knew the only way I could do this and do it to to my, you know, to make me feel worthy of, of any of it was to do, to uh, get to know <clears throat> my wildlife behavior, my environment, and uh, be true to the science, and it, about Bigfoot, so that's pretty much where I'm at. Is constantly trying to go into the idea behind wildlife behavior and the scientific field. That you know, really, the only people I care to get their attention is that one scientist. You know, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. You know, simple girl from yeah, which, which have, well, yeah, definitely. Um, and and what what I love too. Is you know a lot of for a lot of researchers out there, including my well, not including myself, mine's subsequent, but uh, that really kicked it off. But uh, you you didn't you guys didn't have like this um, sighting that kicked it off. It you know I mean of course Shelley you had your husband that had uh, something happen you know this experience, but right. I mean really it, you, you didn't have this this encounter that you're like oh I got to figure out what the heck this is or or that it, it initiated it was. It was um, this built-up mystery, and you're, you guys, you were intrigued, uh, you know, and, and you went after it that way. It seems that a lot of research start out with, with a sighting or something weird happening, and then they get into it for themselves personally. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I think in my case and maybe Monica's case as well, it somewhat keeps us separated from the emotional driven part as far as being 
you know, driving your, your research through emotion because of, of your encounter. Now, that doesn't mean that Monica and I haven't had some things happen since it all has right. started with us, you know, but it also keeps us pretty skeptical. It's not skeptical about that there possibly is something out there. It's skeptical about what is truly evident. And I think yes. that's yeah. what we have on our side is we, we can still, you know, kind of separate the two. It's easier than someone who has had something really traumatic happen to them. So yeah. it's my take no, I, 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 Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, for me, I was researching prior to my sighting and my encounter back in 2011, um, uh, and I was – having fun doing it when I, but when I had my encounter, I mean, it, yeah, was there emotion there? Yeah. It, it kicked me in the butt. Like, bam, you have it. This is, this is solid. This is real. It changed, it changed everything for me with my research. It kind of changed my focus and everything. But, uh, uh, every once in a while I need someone to ground me, you know, <laughs> and you go, Hey, take it down uh, a little bit, bud, you know, just calm down here. Uh, I, I need that. And, uh, that's why it's joy talking to people like you that, that, um, you're very well grounded for starters, you both are very well grounded and very intelligent, and and, uh, and and know your stuff. And that's you know one of the reasons you know uh, we wanted to have you guys on the show because uh, it, one of the other things I wanted to discuss too before we get into um, some of the you know experiences and what you guys are up to in researches um, and and something I've talked to you Shelley about before, and I love to hear Monica's input on this is is being a woman in the field. Uh, of this particular field, I, you know, I'm, I'm, we're not, we won't get anywhere else. We'll just talk about this this field here. If you look back historically, uh, you got all these big names like Renee and, and Peter Byrne and, and Andrew Nagel and Meldrum. Um, and there are there are a few historical women. Don't get me wrong, but how do you guys feel uh, now? And when you first started out in this, uh, has has it changed? Uh, were you guys intimidated? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I know that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've never been intimidated, um, and I've never really even considered, you know, I'm a woman, they're men. I don't, I try not to look at things like that. Um, yeah. I just go out and do my work. You know, have I run into, well, you're just a little old girl, you need to sit at base camp tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I run into it, and it, I address <laughs> it when it happens, because I'm not the little old girl who sits at base camp, generally speaking. Um so yeah, I, I I don't really look at it like that. And, and to be honest, when I have encountered it, it's very rare. It's very rare. And I think that, um, you know, we're all equals when it comes out to the field. I mean, I'd, I'd hate to, to be around anybody, and I would refuse to be around anybody who would treat me any differently just because I'm a woman. And um, and I hope Shelley and any other female researcher out there would do the same. You know, if you're that narrow-minded, with who you're researching with or your research team happens to have women on it and just don't feel that they're adequate or, or um, as capable as anybody else, then, I mean, I know I wouldn't want to be on that team and you can just go along your merry way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shelly, I know we've talked about this a bit and uh, um, I just wanted to say some of the, the best researchers um, that I know and that I've come across uh, including yourselves, uh, but you know Cindy Dose, Dosen, uh, mm-hmm. Cindy Cadell, 
uh, Barb Shoot. I mean, the, the, there's a huge list there, and I, I left some out, but there's a huge list there. But they're fantastic. And uh, uh, But I'm always interested on this topic because uh, I, I think that it's one of those things that's kind of out there. But I think, you know, uh, you know, Kathy Strain, that's another one I was thinking of. But mm-hmm. th- they've been around for a while, these women. But, um, you know, I could see it being kind of a tough world to be in. Maybe not so much now, but maybe back in the day. I mean, Shelly, I know, like I said, we've talked about this. What are your What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I have a very um, strong marriage with a man that is my equal and a father that raised me to be an equal. And so, like with Monica, I don't think about it until it's in my face, you know, any, and usually that comes about when you upset somebody and you disagree. Um, I really just pretty much just move on if that comes about. And it has it has quite a bit, but, it, you know, sorry, you can't handle my awesomeness is basically my idea. <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, my thing is I'm just out to find the truth and um, really just kind of, I think women become very detail-minded, and, and, and I don't know why, but I find the women that are really strong in this field are very detail-minded and not emotionally driven. Um, I also practice my outdoor skills and my wildlife skills, and I hadn't found anybody that kicked my butt yet. You know, as far <laughs> as that goes, you know, I, I consider myself a very strong woman. I'm not... You know, I'm not a scientist. I'm an explorer, and I'm a learner, and um, I just feel like it's it's okay, you know, if there are people or men that that find us intimidating, then, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm 52 years old. I am who I am, been this way all my life, and I'm going to continue that way. And if you want to join along with me and all of our other research friends and any other women, I mean, we're, we're more than happy to have you, but we, we have no time uh, for petty whatever it is, you know, and insecurities and such. It doesn't get anybody anywhere. So mm-hmm. I just, I just yeah. want to have a good time and do, do the right thing by, you know, anybody that's paying attention. So Yeah. No, no, fantastic. Okay. And, 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 you know, you guys are both fantastic, and I value, and I know many, many people value and reach out to you guys for uh, your thoughts and opinions, uh, without a doubt. I know that for a fact, and I'm, I'm one of them. Um, so what, what – I'll start with you, Monica. What is research to you, uh, you know, when it, specifically when it comes to Bigfoot? What is research? What does it involve uh, to you? To me – uh, well, firstly, I'm not out to prove it to the world. I'm out to prove it to myself before anything because I've never had an encounter. Um, I've had odd things happen, sure, but I've never had a visual encounter or even close, in my opinion, to a visual encounter. So um, my research is, is it's selfish. It's, I need to prove it to me before <laughs> I care to prove it to the world. Um and I'm very open about that. I mean, it, would it be great to prove it to everybody? Sure. But I need to prove it to myself first. Um, and that's a good thing, I think, that um, it rem- it helps me remain critical of the evidence that's presented to me because I haven't had 
that sighting. I haven't had that confirmation, but I believe in the possibility. So research for me, um, typically um, I follow along. It's very simple. <laughs> I follow along uh, sighting reports. Uh, if I'm going into an area, I don't like to go into areas that haven't been researched yet. Um, I will do it. I've done it before. I'll get a topo map out, and I'll map out all of the sighting locations, and I'll look for remote areas, and that's my target area. And then um, the research, it's like I said, it's very simple. I'll go out and I'll just I'll look for evidence in a in a specific area where there have been a lot of sightings. It's not as, as detailed as I'm sure Shelley's is. Shelley gets into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with you. Uh, that, you know, I think, I, and I don't think it's a bad thing to be selfish with this. Uh, I think most scientists, accredited scientists, are uh, they have that little bit of selfishness that drives them a little bit, you know. And I think that's important. Um, you know, it keeps you going, and, and uh, you got your own goals and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I'm a yeah. little bit selfish as well. No doubt. Uh, Shelly, what about you, Shelly? Are, are you a little bit selfish, and what do you consider uh, research? What is research to you? Oh, you know, that's a good question because research to me is not the same thing. I mean, it is, but it's different than it was when I first started. Um, research to me is, gosh, I guess the most important thing for me, and yes, I am selfish, I I want to do this for me and uh, for my own. Just I I just want to know. I just need to know, um, and I want my husband to know. And but research to me is finding out other possibilities and getting rid of those before I I ever claim Bigfoot. I just mm-hmm. I want to be that person that figures something out that you know it. Unless I see it and it walks up in front of my face, you know, to me it's just interesting and a possibility. I, mean, I need proof. Pro-proof is is my thing. I, I don't care how anybody proves it. I just need that proof for my own self-being. I don't know what it is, but research, research it, it varies in different areas as well, you know. And some things work in some areas and some things work better in others what I'm finding out, what I'm noticing. It doesn't seem to be exactly the same everywhere. But what I do enjoy is if I get the same data come up in a repetitive order. You know, if something starts one night in a certain area at a certain time and continues and then again the next night or maybe possibly the next night which I've had that happen, and that to me was probably the most exciting thing was that it was the exact same thing happening but getting more frequent, closer to the camp as time went on. And that to me was a pattern, you know, um, details that we probably miss, miss look all the time, getting to know what those things are, Anytime I find something new or I learn something new from somebody as far as just patterns is exciting to me. You know, um, possibly this location has this vegetation and type of water sources and headwaters compared to this location. Those are important to me. What can I use as comparisons and possibly figure out where I could possibly go without – I like to go – and um, 
think, okay, I'm going to look at my maps like Monica does. I'm going to look at the water sources. I'm going to look at um, the vegetation. I'm going to look at weather patterns. And I'm going to see if I can pinpoint where I think Bigfoot might be and then go and see if there are any reports in that area. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to start figuring out, you know, which I know everybody does. But um, those details to me are important because I don't think Bigfoot just randomly walks around for no reason to wherever he's at. He's going, you know, all wildlife go to a certain location for an exact reason, at the exact time, whatever it may be. And I want to try to figure those things out. I guess that's what research is for me. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, and I love it. What, um, what, in regards to research, and either one of you guys can take this one or you both can, but uh, what techniques do you guys specifically do uh, in the field? What do you guys utilize when you're, um, say, in the field, uh, whether you're on a research trip or just a day trip, uh, or, you know, what sort of techniques um, have you guys, that you guys believe may yield results or, or that you guys just partake in and that's part of your research. Uh, um, uh, I'll start with you, Shelley, and, and Monica, if you want to jump in, feel free. Um, well, I'm not one to do howls and calls, really. I, I don't – I mean, we have, of course, and there's always when things just are just nothing's happening – I like to do calls to see if I can even get a coyote, you know, to to answer yeah. back. But I'm not good at them. I don't know if they really do generate anything. I know there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of reports that they do. Um, but I, well, example, I, if we do any kind of calls, primarily Don doing them, and it's more doing like prim, uh, primate grunts, you know, things like that, um, I believe I don't, think I'm going to walk out and find Bigfoot, I think my best bet is to try to provoke him, in, either in uh, interest. Um, I like to make a lot of noise, a lot of laughing, giggling, talking loud, you know, um, that kind of thing. Bringing them in, I think, is way more productive than trying to go out and find them. Mm-hmm. Um, I Maybe a wood knock, but not a lot of wood knocks. So, you know, um, maybe one really not just just really making a lot of noise, I think. And I'll say because that's worked for, for me as far as I know if if we had something happen. But I, uh, yeah, howls I'm not real big on and calls. I know there's some great people out there that do some wonderful stuff. But for me, that just I, I, that, I just think acting like a camper a lot of times can be your best bet. Yeah, I agree with with Shelley. That's what I do when I go out is you just act normal because truthfully a lot of those sightings are people that are just hiking along or that are camping. So just, I mean, being aware of what's going on around you, but just going on about your business like you would if you were camping. The only difference is I do like to howl. If nothing's going on, I do like using howls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I was going to just say um, walking – I would think, you know, and I'll tell you that um, I had a, 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 an encounter came up on a couple of cougars in Oklahoma, and the only reason it was 
able to happen was because they were near a waterfall. And um, there had been a big burn ban or big burn off in the National Forest and I believe pushed all the wildlife closer to where we were and we were walking up to look at a, a waterfall. So the noise, you know, being during the daytime, of course, we all want to go out and look for any signs or any tracks. And I think water sources that are making noise, that would be maybe the time you could sneak up on one because they just can't hear you. You know, I mean, that would be a lot of luck. But, you know, looking for tracks, I like to do that, you know, during the day, just scouting your area and looking at the, you know, what's there and how things work. Um, I really, really, really believe in um, rock cliffs have something to do with it. I'm really starting to push towards the idea that anywhere you find straight cliff-type areas, you're, you may find some luck there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. That, the, yeah, the the rocks, there's something about that. There's something to that, Chili, and I, I fully believe that as well. And I, I have to refer back to my um, initial encounter, uh, and I'll start out with, with the uh, acting like a camper, uh, you know, during my initial encounter, I, we, me and two guys, two buddies had hiked 17 miles and we kind of got lost. We eventually made it to our, our where we were going to camp and we'd hiked everywhere and we were making noise and whatnot. So um, we were making noise, but we were just hikers um, lost. Uh, we weren't out there and, and I was very much interested in the Bigfoot subject. Don't get me wrong. Uh, um, I, I was, you know, I'm hiking and I was on a fishing trip, but it was very much in the back of my head that I'm in a very squatchy, what I consider a squatchy area. Um, but none of the calls or knocks or anything like that. It was just a hiking thing. And so it, that whole trip, you know, we didn't do any of that stuff. And we had two nights of a crazy, a crazy encounter. And um, so I, I have to, that was kind of my platform of, okay, why did this happen? What were we doing? Uh, you know? And so I, 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 like you guys, don't tend to go out there and do knocks and calls or any of that stuff. You know, if there's nothing going on, if I'm out for four, three, four days, there's nothing going on, last day, shoot, why not? I'll do it. I'll, I'll do a couple of knocks, a couple of calls, see if something happens. You know, uh, I'm leaving. It doesn't matter. I'm getting out of here. So I'm going to try and stir up something, maybe create something, make something interested in me. Um, but the, the, uh, I will say, <laughs> Derek Randall's. Uh, you know, we've had him on the show, and, and Shelly, you know Derek. He's part of Land Project, as you are, and and good friend. Uh, he he played. Uh, he recorded his his one of his kids, and this is years and years ago. But one of his kids crying. You know, uh, it was an inf- you know one of his infants and, and crying, and he went out and hiked. I think like eight miles out in the middle of nowhere in the Blue Mountains, and put it uh, the cassette in the tape and played it and played it, and. Uh, had something, you know, eventually after hours of playing this blast, basically call blasting it out there, something came off the hill and, and it freaked him out. He didn't want anything to do with research anymore because it was a crazy experience. Uh, even found tracks that were impressive. Um, so maybe there's some to it, uh, depending on what you want to do. I personally will not go out in the woods. I don't think and, and play uh, my, I'm a four year old, but um, I don't think I'll play anything of, you know, her crying to, to get something in the camp. <laughs> That's, yeah, and I don't think Derek would do it again. But uh, anyways, uh, but there's definitely something, I think, to these. In the area that I had my encounter, there, 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 
rocks were prevalent in these cliffs. There's something to that, Shelley, and I agree mm-hmm. with you there. Um, well, I don't know what it is yet, but, yeah, go ahead, yeah. It's a high advantage, you know. I mean, if that were my home, that's where I would be because not much is going to be able to get up to you. And, I mean, and if you look at the traditional pictures of the build of a Sasquatch, their upper bodies are massive. That's that's from climbing. I mean, that's just a bodybuilder type. Thing. I mean, that's just well known. You know, the lats and the truck, the um, biceps and the delts and all of that. That's from you know pulling that body up. That's that's what I believe. I mean, and it also if you, this is another thing I've just been kind of contemplating that the if you go with the way. You know, they talk about the mid-tarsal break, you know, with Dr. Melderman, how the front of that foot is so, you know, you you know, whereas with our feet, when we bend our foot to climb, you know, it's just basically the, uh, the toes and the meaty part of the front of your foot. Well, if you were to do that with a Sasquatch foot, you're getting so much more area, flat area, that would be able to climb up and grasp flat surfaces, I mean, kind of think of like a rock climber's foot, you know, when they wear those specific shoes, their feet, you know, it gives them more traction, and I feel like if there is a mid-tarsal break, that would be the perfect foot for climbing flat surfaces, and then with the upper body and the, you know, the lats being so wide and massive, I mean, they would just be able to scale anything flat like that in a matter of seconds, in my opinion, so to me, those things, I just, you know, kind of play around with those ideas, but I also have noticed that a lot of uh, those kind of, you know, encounters have been around, you know, areas with a lot of cliffs, and so I just think that it's an advantage all the way around to have straight-up rock cliffs and stuff much country, but that's just speculation in theory, so... Of course, of course, but it is an interesting thought uh, and interesting theory. Um, you know, uh, the, most animals have a, a way in and a way out, and they can disappear mm-hmm. just like that. Why would Sasquatch be any different? In fact, it would almost have to be um, mm-hmm. uh, following those those lines, definitely. But, uh, you know, I, I'm curious. Um, I've driven through Texas once uh, many years ago, uh, and I've been to – I've been to quite a few states, but, you know, being here in the Pacific Northwest, living here in Oregon and doing a lot of research here in Oregon, um, a little bit in Northern California and, and a lot in Washington, what's going on in Texas and the surrounding uh, states, you know, Oklahoma and Louisiana, these places that, that uh, I mean, is there anything going on for you guys down there personally? Uh, what, you know, and, you know, what's the, what's the, the other part of this question I want to present to you guys is, you know, what is going on with, we got all these sightings around the United, continental United States, uh, and it, it's amazing to me that we have this many sightings in, in these states. What's so, you know, what's going on in Texas and those states, and you know, compared to, you know, why would Sasquatch be down there, and and also be in the Pacific Northwest? You know, I, I'm just curious. Uh, it's one of those things that puzzles my my brain. I, I got to think about. Well. We got sightings everywhere, and almost in every state, you know, other than you know, say Hawaii. Um, but what, what, for the states that you guys have been into, and in the, the state you live in, as of Texas, what's going on down there that uh, is interesting to you? Um, 
you know, what what keeps you going down there? I mean, I know you guys do come up to the Pacific Northwest, but you guys do a lot of research down there, and you know know a lot of people. What's going on down there? Anything interesting? Um. Well, go ahead. Uh, there's always southeast Oklahoma. Really, I mean, you you have to consider. I think a lot of people, when you think about the state of Texas, you immediately imagine West Texas, where it's very arid and um, there's not a lot of vegetation, and what there is is basically scrub brush. Uh, But truthfully, East Texas gets an incredible amount of rain every year. It is very lush, and it is very thick. And while the temperatures aren't the same as the Pacific Northwest, I would say that the amount of rainfall it gets is similar, and the vegetation growth is very similar. Um, it definitely, as far as density, it may even be denser than there. So there's a lot of opportunity for something to hide. Um, and as far as interesting areas, um, I always found that southeast Oklahoma is a very, very good area to uh, to research in. There's a lot of remote areas you can go into. You've got the Kayamichi Mountain Range and the Kayamichi River that runs through there. It's beautiful, beautiful country. But again, there are remote areas, and there's a lot of relatively dense vegetation for pretty much anything to hide. There's a decent bear population out there. There's a decent cougar population. So there are large predators out there already. Um, so why wouldn't there be Bigfoot out there? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and there's lots and lots and lots of food here. You know, the wildlife here. You can't drive down the road without seeing wildlife almost every day. I mean, it's just we, we've got so much. Compared to other areas I have been in, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, the warmer southern states in the fall, we have an abundance of pigs, wild pigs. Oh, it's goodness, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like bacon? I mean, gosh, you know, I know Sasquatch has to love bacon and there's plenty of it here. <laughs> Um, and our deer, it's just, I mean, you can, a lot of areas you can practically feed the deer. I mean, a lot of people make them into pets around here. Um, every day, I mean, we're, and we're, it's getting to where I, I actually am getting into doing a little bit of red wolf research in an area where Monica and I go that is also known for um, Bigfoot research and I also do fossil hunting, so I get kind of all uh, everything in one spot. So our our red wolves are coming back, our cougars are coming back. We have a, a report of a white cougar in East Texas that I keep telling Monica we need to go and check it out, and there's an actual video of it. Um, just the wildlife is just really, really great and abundant in these areas, and especially in the fall, you know, I would think, heck, I would move to where the food was, but like she said, why not? Why not Bigfoot be here? Mm -hmm. And it is extremely dense here. We, You know, Shane, you've heard me say, when we're walking through the woods in Texas, you have to walk a certain way, so you got to pick your feet up because underbrush, (laughs) underbrush goes to about your knees here, and that's, everywhere so and and being protected land here or you know private land you know it's hard to um you can't even touch half or or, you know just a smidgen of what uh the forests are here because it's all private 
So it's a safe place to be, I would assume. Yeah. Some of the best uh, encounter reports I've ever read or, or, or those I've talked to have come from Oklahoma, Texas, that area. And, and some of them involved uh, pigs, <laughs> you know, Sasquatch yeah, uh-huh. uh, picking up a pig, taking off or smashing a pig. or So perfect sense to me to be down there, um, you know, if you're a Sasquatch. I think I won't say people are naive, but if, unless you've traveled to some of these areas, uh, you'll be surprised at the amount of wilderness, and you'll also be surprised at the amount of wildlife. Uh, you know, th- with bears and cougars being in areas that, you know, Arizona's another one that comes to mind, you know, um, uh, where where people think, oh, it's a, you know, such a dry state and hot. and they got vast forests, and they got bear and elk and everything else there, too. And so, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and, and, and they can stay hidden very easily in these areas. It, it's not mind-boggling to me. But have you guys seen um, a decrease or an increase um, in sightings or reports of Sasquatch, uh, you know, in the southwest, in Texas, in those areas? I mean, anything that sticks out to you guys, uh, you know, where you're you're seeing a decrease or an increase? Uh, Maybe it's got Mm -hmm. something to do with uh, the pig population, you know, uh, or not. I don't know. But anything uh, you guys can add there? I noticed an increase, but I I don't know that it has anything to do with um, animal or wildlife populations. I think it's um, that Bigfoot's such a popular subject right now, and it's easier for people to talk about it. And it's, you know, witnesses who have something happen where in the past they may not have said something or coming forward now. And so I would I would attribute the uptick in citing reports to the popularity of the subject. Yeah. I noticed that <clears throat> there's an influx of reports about every four years. If you start looking around, you'll see. And that could, you know, be attributed to what Monica is saying, you know, that there's a you know, once somebody sees one, then others come out. I don't know. I know in our area, I took a report a couple of years ago from a gentleman that's an actual police officer here in my town that saw one crossing the road behind his, he has like 3,500 acres. Um, oh, and uh, it was in October. And also October seems to be, you know, and I'm, I don't know if it has to do with hunters during hunting season, but October, November, that seems to be a, a more popular time of the year down here and that's when it starts to get you know a little cool but um this gentleman saw a white one crossing the highway not far from where he lived at like two o'clock in the morning and um then he proceeded to inform me that there was a few other people in his town that really didn't want anybody to know but they had been seeing you know, had sightings throughout the years in the area. So, but I personally have seen where it, about every four years you see an influx of um, Bigfoot uh, reports here throughout Texas and, and specifically in our area. Mm-hmm. Well, that's sort of a pattern, and I'm very, very mm-hmm. much about patterns and predictability. It's very much a pattern, Shelley. It's interesting you mentioned mm-hmm. every four years. You know, um, you know, the 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 Sasquatch subject has has you know I would say since about oh, 2011, 2012, 
has really taken off uh, via social media and TV shows, um, uh, and, and that definitely plays a part. Um, you're always going to have a lot of uh, misidentifications, false reports, but there's a huge number of reports where there's no doubt what these people saw, and they come from very credible witnesses. I mean, absolutely, and, and some of them are absolutely incredible uh, reports, and uh, to me that that's compelling, and I love predictability and patterns. Uh, down, down in Texas, uh, are you guys – what are some of the – what are, what are, where do you guys get some of these reports from? I mean, are they um, not so much from, but are they a lot of roadside crossings? Is it farmers? Is it hunters? Mm-hmm. Uh, what predominantly is being – have you guys noticed from these reports? And, you know, October, you mentioned, Shelley, it seems to be, mm-hmm. a, you know, it, obviously it takes mm-hmm. a, 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 a person, someone being out there and a subject or an entity or a creature, uh, but – um, what, what predominantly sticks out in your head as far as uh, you know how these how people are seeing these things or you know where they're seeing them? Um, for me, uh, it's a lot of roadside crossings or road crossings or them walking down the road. Um, as far as the Bigfoots are walking down the road, I think they're looking for roadkill in a lot of instances. Um, in, in my my opinion uh, also word of mouth for me I mean I just you know my husband tends to like to tell everybody what I do and so he ends up with a report or a name and a number and give me a call I get them like that a lot um, people I talk to at work um, my customers and then they tell me something about their grandfather or their grandmother or you know, but um, word of mouth for me is where I get the majority of my reports, and just people not, are getting to know what I do. And um, mm-hmm. a friend of a friend says, my friend wants to talk to you, and, you know, met people at the car wash before, and they've had encounters. And it's a lot of hunters, a lot of people that are yeah, getting a lot in the of woods. Hunters. Yeah, mm. and those guys usually don't believe what they're seeing they're just like completely just floored and usually scared and but they don't like admitting it yeah right they don't they're not out searching for us but if you say something the next thing you know i don't know how many people you just mention it and they don't laugh at you they just look at you and you know right then uh uh-oh he's got something to tell me you know yeah oh yeah yeah, the uh, the roadside crossing thing, you know, I, one of my favorite areas, and Shelly, you've been out there, uh, an area I had my encounter. I love Clackamas County. It, to me, it's one of the, the the hottest spots in the nation for uh, Sasquatch sightings and reports, but also for roadside crossings. And many of the reports that um, I've read and investigated have been uh, involved roadkill. So it's funny you say that, and I, I, I tend to agree that it's easy pickings if you can find roadkill mm-hmm. um, for you know, if you're a Sasquatch and a you know opportunistic uh, scavenger or predator, but uh, um, the uh, that to me is really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, and and you're seeing the same thing down in Texas possibly, and then right. with the hunters, you know, a lot of the research I do, uh, every, you know, for for those getting into this or even for some of your your um, more experienced uh, investigators. They don't. I love to look at hunting forms. 
I love to jump online and look at mm-hmm. hunting forms that have nothing to do with Sasquatch and just search them out. And I'll be damned. I, I do find Sasquatch reports or a hunter going, hey, has anybody experienced this or seen this? And usually they get blasted. They get just, oh, you know, they get the beef jerky right. jokes and this and that. But those are some of the most honest reports to me because they're really putting themselves out there. It's the same thing mm-hmm. when, when, when a hunter's out there and sees something that blows his mind and contacts you or any of us or any researcher or just even shares his story. That, to me, is very mm-hmm. compelling stuff and uh, more compelling than most, um, especially if they've been at hunting for you know, 20, 30, 40 years and they've never experienced or seen anything and all of a sudden their world's flipped upside down and they're just shell-shocked. Uh, those to me are very compelling. <laughs> I mean, I would assume yeah. you would agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got a report, a guy that contacted me from Canada. He'd never, he told me he'd never heard of such thing, didn't know they even existed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're from Canada. <laughs> and he's like, no, I, I'm, we don't. We don't talk about those things here. I've never heard of it, and I'm afraid for my children. And he was a hunter, and he was moose hunting, and and he had it in his sights, and he said it just, and it was on all fours. Those are the other reports I love, when they're on all fours and then they stand up. That, to me, says, I don't know, it just can, it, I think they do a lot of stuff on all fours. They're built to do it, but um, this gentleman contacted me, and then I've known him now, I guess, over a year, and not long ago, he contacted me and said, you're not going to believe this. My best friend and his dad were driving down the highway, and one crossed the road, and they're freaking out. And he said, I still haven't told them. I've seen one before. So I sent him pictures, and the poor gentleman, he's like an 80-year-old man, is just beside himself right now, he says. You know, he it, it, that's what he saw, and they're just, you know, cannot believe, and I thought, wow, and they never knew about these things, and they live in Canada, you know, so, <laughs> wow, it's interesting. Yeah, the, the, the all four, being on all fours, I've taken in quite a few reports of this nature, and it makes absolute perfect sense to me that Sasquatch mm-hmm. would, I mean, everybody's always looking up, you know, uh, or, or looking mm-hmm. as where they think Sasquatch would be, you know, uh, you know, as a you know, as a hunter, you know, think about yourself as a hunter. Are, are you going to be standing up in the open, you know, with your gun aiming around? No, you're usually if you're on a tree stand or something of that nature, you're you're hunkering down, you're you're low, and you're not you know sticking out like a sore thumb. You're going to be spotted, right? You know, mm-hmm. so Sasquatch, same scenario. I mean, whether they're hunting or just uh, trying to conceal themselves. I would imagine they're going to be down on the ground a lot. And also, you know, traveling on all fours at times, the, the reports reflect that, in my opinion. It makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. Yeah. Well, so that's, my uh, husband, <clears throat> sorry, I was just going to say, Don always tells me, he says, now remember, you know, the, the, the lowest 18 inches of the forest floor are clear because that's where all the rodents and the small game you know, choose to go. They're, you know, they've got paths and they keep it all clear. He said, um, so why don't you put your camera on the ground? He said, Bigfoot ain't flying around. He's walking or crawling. <laughs> he may get a picture that way. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good idea, you know, to aim the camera, you know, set it on the ground and aim it through the underbrush. 
I mean, you never know. So, but yeah, you're you're you're. If you were to hide, you know, you hear those reports where people say they see him standing there and they turn around and or look away and look back and it's gone. My my first thought is, well, he dropped down on all. He's not going to run off. He's going to he's going to hide and crawl off maybe. But you know, your your quickest way of concealment is to drop down on all fours. Right, right. That's yeah. No, I agree. The um, now I want to get in a little bit into um, some of you guys' personal experiences. And Monica, I'll start start out with you. Uh, what what stands out in your mind with uh, the many research um, uh, trips you've partaken in and and whatnot? Is there anything that uh, you found compelling with uh, that you've experienced personally, or you've just found very interesting that you would like to share? Um, oh gosh, I've, I've done it for so long. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I have to think back a little bit. <laughs> um, really, I would say what piques my interest is when I'm pretty deep in, you know, into the brush and you're somewhere that nobody's just going to be traipsing through. Um, You're pretty far out uh, into the field and you hear something. And that's why I do like to howl because sometimes you'll get something coming back in. And those are interesting to me because I've had, I mean, the Ohio howl we conveyed all day. Is it a coyote? Is it this? Is it that? I've had the same sound sent back to me and it almost sounded like it was the recording being played back at me. I mean, it was oh. it, something like that is very interesting when it's the pitch and the tone and it's exactly the same and it's the duration is long. And, um, and also, I mean, I've had odd things happen to me out in the woods and I've had odd things happen to me growing up. Uh, you know, like I said, I used to vacation in a relatively remote part, Western Oregon, and the scariest thing that happened to me was a vocalization. And, I mean, I'm not unfamiliar with animal sounds, and this sound scared me. I mean, it's the first time I'd ever had the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And I was afraid to go to sleep that night because whatever made that sound had incredible lungs. It was about a quarter of a mile away from me down in the um, creek bed. But it sounded like it was at the end of the walkway screaming at me. And it started low and ended, it crescendoed, and it lasted longer than any animal I'd ever heard howl. I mean, it was a very long howl, and it was very massive. And it's it's things like that that um, compel me. Now, out in the woods, I mean, I'm so critical of everything. I can't say that I've had a lot of stuff happen to me that I couldn't right. attribute to, you know, that could have been a bear, it could have been a cougar, it could have been coyote and owl, it could have been this, 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 and this, because I'm always going to immediately go to what's the most common thing out here that it could be. I mean, until I see one, yeah, open its mouth or I see it do this, I can't say, oh, yeah, that's that's a Sasquatch making that noise. I don't know that. I mean, I can assume that it might be, but I can't say with any certainty. So it's very difficult for me to... um, to say, you know, this was really cool or this was really interesting because I'm so critical of everything that's presented to me, it, it's well, really probably a, a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I before I have Shelley answer this question, Monica, is there anything that um, that you've not experienced? I mean, is there any evidence out there, anything 
that's been shared with you or um, that you've researched uh, not in the field, but per se, you know, other people's encounters or any evidence that's been presented to you that you found interesting or compelling? Well, I mean, it's touching on what we were speaking about just a moment ago is the hunter stories. I mean, I'm, I don't believe they have any reason to lie, and these are men that go out into the field and they have no interest in Bigfoot whatsoever. They don't care one way or the other, and they see something that scares them. And any hunter, well, not any, but most hunters that come back with these stories, especially when it happened years ago and they're just, you know, very reluctant. You can see with the way they relate the story. They're looking around. They kind of fumble a little bit. They're uncomfortable telling the story because they don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to be laughed at. That's a very sincere thing. So, you know, anytime I hear something like that, it's very compelling for me. I mean, they have no reason to lie. They're clearly uncomfortable retelling their their encounter or whatever it may have been. And, and that, you know, that's part of what drives me. I mean, I'm critical of everything. I've never had an experience myself, but there has to be something that keeps me going. And it's the possibility Absolutely. and it's sincere reports from people like that that keep me going. Uh, Shelly, uh, I know, I well, I mean, fortunately, I've had the opportunity to uh, partake in some of your possible encounters and experiences, but, uh, you know, for the audience, you know, um, I'd love to start out, uh, you know, with anything that I maybe I don't know. Maybe there's, you know, I know your husband's story and whatnot, but, uh, you know, when I first had you up here uh, in Oregon, and we went to Washington Olympic Project. Um, we had a freaking epic weekend. We had an epic weekend with some very strange, <laughs> strange stuff going on there. Where Adam Davies, um, who's a, a cryptozoologist out of uh, England, uh, came over to Olympic Project. And, and uh, well, let, let's just—I'll—I'll uh, I'll, I'll let you take over on that a little bit. Uh, it's, I still look back on that as an epic uh, time, and and uh, where we got some great audio and had quite um, quite experience out there. Uh, Go ahead and touch upon that, uh, unless you got anything else to share. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I can touch upon that. That was uh, very unexpected. I just was excited to be invited and, you know, come out with you guys for the first time. That was my first experience in the Pacific Northwest. And, and honestly, I never go out looking to find Bigfoot. I really kind of feel like I'm going to die and never see him and, you know, always speculate, but um, we were on night ops in two groups. Shane, you were with a, a group, and I was with another group with Adam and a few other people, and we headed up towards a location, and we're, uh, the two groups were separated within, I don't know, a quarter of a mile of each other, but one behind the other. Um, the group we were with, we didn't have our lights on at all. It was very dark. I um, remember the canopy was really thick, so it was hard to see, and I was having to hold on to somebody, but we head up a trail. There's like a 30-foot straight berm off to our left of the trail. Uh, we kind of stayed around looking through the flares, just observing, and all of a sudden, rocks come tumbling down, or gravel comes tumbling down off the berm like something's up there. Everybody gets excited. Adam Davies goes into a completely different person and starts doing gorilla grunts <laughs> towards the area. And we all stand and listen, like nothing, nothing. And then 
he runs the trail and does some more grunting. And then we get a whoop or a kind of a huff back. Exciting. Then he asked me to go do it, I guess, to play the female role. I, it was really exciting. I run up the trail. I do my huff, nothing. Um, we kind of mill around. We don't hear much more and start up the trail, and then more rocks come down. Um, eventually, I think we got three huffs that night, very faint, but one on two on one side, one on the other. Then Adam Davies get, commenced to urinate all over a tree to kind of say, this is my area, I'm taking over your area. <laughs> it was really <laughs> quite interesting and uh, exciting, and I I don't know, I was... I couldn't believe what was going on, and and I don't know. I don't know what it was. We can't say it was a Bigfoot, but it sure was an exciting night. Um, I think what was even more exciting was after all that, we went back the next day to look for DNA and and, uh, broke up into groups with our kids and went up and um, didn't really find much. I think Adam found something that came back like a possum hair or something. Right, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I remember, I you know, one thing I've learned and that Shane and I both do is recorders are on from the time you step out. They're in your pocket and they're on just in case. And I remember that day, for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to go set out recorders. And I grabbed yours and took them out, set them near the area where we were. Thirteen hours later, we pick them up. And on the way home, you're listening to your recorder and you get some interesting activity on the recorder. So that was really cool. And Shane, are you there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, for me personally, that audio to this date is uh, probably my favorite. Um, Just based off what transpired that night and what transpired the following night after after you set the recorders out and – it, the, the sounds on this recorder just it, it, it blows my mind. I don't know, you know, I, did I see a Sasquatch make the noise and, and do what it did? Uh, no, I didn't. I can't say definitively right. that it was a Sasquatch or Sasquatches. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it just uh, I, I can listen to that. I listen to it all the time. It's just me, uh, amazing piece of audio. Um, it won't get me anywhere. It won't uh, prove anything. But for me personally, fantastic stuff, and uh, and you get you know you place it in a, a perfect uh, spot. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I, I was floored when I listened to it. But anyways, uh, that the audio was exciting for me, obviously. <clears throat> but uh, now um, that you know that was interesting. Um, that was an interesting weekend out there. But you've subsequently you know you come back to. Um, you come back to uh, Oregon and Washington, and you're up in in the Cascades uh, once again. And you had another, um, even uh, for you personally, another very exciting <laughs> uh, possible <laughs> encounter and sighting with uh, another witness. So, uh, yeah. you know, uh, please, please share that because um, um, you, you not only possibly saw something. Uh, but you also got some some really good audio that backs up um, some of the events that transpired, and you guys found some objects that were possibly even thrown into camp. 
that were um, caught on audio. And you guys mm-hmm. were uh, in a fantastic, fantastic area with fantastic people. So, yeah, I love, you know, I, I love hearing about this, and I know the audience will too, so please share. Okay. Um, another, you know, again, I go out <laughs> with just the idea. I'm really excited because I'm going to be with really great people that, you know, they're <clears throat> just some solid, good researchers who are just as skeptical as I am, and I'm just so thrilled I'm going to go because I – had been up there. We had been up there, you know, for Scoopum and Beachfoot, and then I come home and for I think two days and got in the car and drove right back. And uh, so anyway, we we head out to the location and the first night, I believe, yes, first night, you know, of course, all the recorders are out, the flares are out, the parabolics are out, and about dusk, I guess, you know, and it gets dark really late in in the Pacific Northwest, like 10 o'clock. And um, about dusk, up on that cliff, right in front of me, I hear this loud pow, you know, like a, almost like a shotgun blast. And I'm thinking, and I, I looked at one of the guys, did you hear that? And he's like, yeah. But I kind of, you know, blew it off, like <clears throat> uh, maybe the hunters or somebody, you know, shooting off a gun. But there was nobody nobody camping except for us because there was a ban, a burn ban. Nobody likes to camp when you can't have a campfire. So anyway, probably I think an hour or so later, a little bit closer down on that mountain, another pow, you know, just really strong, loud, um, whatever it was you know, tree knocker, gunfire. I'm sure it wasn't gunfire, but anyway, um, the guys start paying attention. And so as the night went on, and now mind you, I had, I was there, I think 12 days or something like that all together and just running around all over the state. And this went on three days, every night, same time, same place, that thing starts. And I've got it all on recording, but I've got, I don't know, hundreds of hours of recordings that I have to go through. But I've gone through some of them. And matter of fact, it took me a long time. It was it was difficult for me. But anyway, <laughs> the third night, myself and um, a young man by the name of Nathaniel York decided we're going to stay up. The rest of the group, uh, other gentlemen there, which are bigger and older, I, I kind of felt like Nathaniel and I were the small ones, you know, so we're going to stay up. The other guys all went to bed, and their camps, their their tents are all around us, snoring like crazy. Nathaniel and I decided, you know, the best thing for us to do is just make a lot of noise, sit in the dark, giggle, laugh, and just act like we're dumb campers. Well, that third night, everything starts just right on time, <clears throat> but this night, it continually between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And now, mind you, this is on July the 31st, and it was the night of the blue moon, the second full moon of that month, which very rarely happens from what I understand. Um, so it's a full moon. We're facing a tree line where the knocks are coming from. While they work their way down the, the mountain 
every anywhere from every two hours to every thirty minutes. And about after the third power knock off to our um, uh, where we're facing to our left, we all of a sudden start getting knocks to our right that are answering the knocks to whatever. At least it seems that way. <clears throat> about ten minutes after the one on the left, then we get this little passive knock down in the meadow where our water source was. We're like on a three-tiered area, and we're on the middle tier, and there's a uh, drop down, and it's a little walkway down to a, a, through the woods down to a meadow. And uh, we're getting these little passive knocks, it seems like, about every 10 minutes after these power knocks to our left. They get so close to our left that the birds are flying out of the trees. And I I could swear that this knock is coming, I don't know, maybe 75 yards at the most from us, maybe a little less. I'm not sure. I just know birds are flying over every time it knocks. And this is around 2 in the morning when it gets that close. And then we hear right in front of us, something crossing through the woods in the tree line. I have that on recording as well, but it's not that loud, but it's loud enough to where we can hear it. And the tree line's probably, I don't know, Shane, you know the area. What do you think? The tree line's about 50, 40 yards from where we're sitting? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a really good estimate. Uh, about, yeah, but that, maybe even a, a little bit closer, but yeah. Okay, so we hear something going through, and then I get this other really strange. It's not a knock. It was, it, it sounds like a pop, like a like a you know, like you're popping open something, a bottle or a rock pop or something. It's not a tree knock. It's different from all the rest. And um, get another little passive knock to the right. And then Nathaniel and I are sitting there, and I'm just staring off into the – I'm just staring, and he keeps – he's like, oh, did you hear that? You know, and I'm excited, but in the same line, I keep telling myself, oh, that's probably an elk. God, oh, it's probably just tree fall. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's just – but I'm just staring off into the woods, just where the noise is coming from, where it's moving, because I'm expecting something's going to move. And all of a sudden, I just see this silhouette in the tree line, and the and the moon's behind us, so it it shows that silhouette just pretty as you please. And it, and but it's so fast. I see this dark, tall silhouette move its way through three sets of trees, which I thought were three individual trees, because I'm always questioning where you know what am I seeing? It's nighttime, you know. Our eyes aren't made to see in the dark. Are you sure what you're seeing? But this thing, I just see it, it just moves across the tree line just ever so quickly, but it's not running. I can tell it's not running. It's just moving, and it's moving fast enough, but not at a, not, it's not running. It's not in a hurry. It just seems like the speed that it's moving, it would be the same speed if we were walking, but 10 times faster. And I say, what the hell is that? And apparently... Nathaniel is see he says he sees my the brim of my hat in the direction. He looks and he says, 
holy some curse words. He's like, there it is, you know, and I immediately turn to him and just say, don't talk. Let's not talk. Don't tell me what you saw. I don't want to see. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you saw. I want you to draw what you saw, and I will draw what I saw tomorrow. And because at that moment, I don't know what to think. I'm honestly just after all of these knocks and day after day, am I going crazy? I'll wait and see what he draws. So I draw my picture the next day, the next morning. We're separated. We don't talk about it. He draws his picture. Basically what he did is he took a picture of the exact same area where I had drawn my picture of the same trees, and then he drew in what he saw. And basically what it was was I drew in three silhouettes of this thing going down the hill, um, and he drew the last frame of it like it turned and went down, and he saw the back, and it was lower, just like it was supposed to be. And I think I had a little bit of a breakdown. They said I wouldn't talk to anybody, and I cried all day. So um, then it took me six months before I'd even open any of my files to listen to any of, of the recordings. And uh, I don't know, I can't say it was a Bigfoot, but it sure was awesome because for the next two days, we did everything we could to reenact every knock we heard with every kind of tree, with every kind of branch, with every kind of rock. We put people in the location, had them walk through there to try to replicate the height and how big, and it just... We we looked at elk, we looked at moose, we looked at everything we could possibly think of that it could have possibly been besides a Bigfoot, and we couldn't we couldn't replicate any of it. Um, yeah. You know that that was difficult. You know because now not only do <laughs> I don't have any answers at this point, and you know so and I'm still just don't want to believe. Though I am, I do believe, but I don't want to, you know, and I want to be so scientific, but it's so difficult because you don't, you know, you, it just, it's very hard. Well, so we decide then after that happened, not another knock, not nothing. Everything went dead. We never got any other activity of any kind. Nothing's built done. So myself, Nathaniel, and, uh, the guys that were with us, Kirk and and another gentleman, we decided, well, let's go to some other locations throughout Washington. So we spent the next six days just going from location to location. We ended up going to the uh, Highway 101 and researching eight miles in the middle of the night. That was amazing. I loved it. Um, but nothing happening anywhere. We decided, let's go back. Let's go back. So we go back, we we drive all day, we get back to the location, we go back to the exact uh, spot where we camped. No one had been there, we could tell, there, you know, it was super dry. And, oh, and Shane, y'all had come in and you had found something while we were there, and we'll talk about that too. But um, when we get back, we noticed there is no but no tracks whatsoever as far as any uh, uh, 
vehicle tracks coming in or out. You know, nobody had been there. And we get there, and we're so tired. I just throw up my tent. And um, now, mind you, I will say this. I'm a pretty brave woman, and um, I'm not scared as much, but I wasn't going to sleep on that tree line again because that night, I, the night that all that's happened, I went and got in my tent and slept on that tree line. <laughs> <laughs> and that thing, you know, what I saw was right behind my tent. So anyway, my 45 and my headlamp stayed on that night. But when I came back, I was so tired I forgot to unzip the top of my tent because I like to be able to look out in case I hear anything. I just stopped in the tent. I didn't even take off my clothes, passed out, because we'd been up all night the night before on the highway. And, you know, go to sleep, and then I wake up around, it was before daylight, but I knew it was getting close, but it was before daylight, and I think I'm hearing something in the camp hitting the cars in the tree next to me, and i I lay there and I think, nah, you're just dreaming, you're just dreaming, go back to sleep. So I kind of go back to sleep and then all of a sudden, pow, I hear something again. And I'm like, what the heck, am I dreaming? And I lay there and then I drift back off to sleep. Well, then it happens again and it's really loud and I hear stuff bouncing off the ground and off of the tree next to me. And I know it's not tree branches being broken off of the tree or any trees around us because if you remember Shane in that camp area all the lower branches on those ponderosa pines are gone there are no branches so you you get up to like 10 feet Mm -hmm. in that whole area and the pine cones are tiny so I know it's not pine cones you know um but it's something hard and it's hitting this tree because now I'm laying there listening to it and I start trying to call out because I don't want to unzip my tent because I'm afraid then I won't, you know, it'll run off, whatever it is. I'm I'm just, I'm laying there just kind of frozen like holy heck. So I kind of try to call out to the guys to see if they're awake. They're not awake. So I just lay there and listen. This goes on for 30 minutes. Bam, you know, bang, 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 bang. You can tell stuff's hitting the tree in the car, and it's rolling around on the ground. And um, so I uh, eventually hear the birds start to chirp, and I know then there's I can get up and get out because whatever's been there is gone. So I get up, I get out, I start immediately looking around on the ground, and I'm finding chunks of rock and chunks of firewood from another campsite that I know it came from because I've I've investigated this whole area with a fine-tuned comb for days. And it was broken, and it was burnt, and and it was above and behind us. And um, so I took a couple of those pieces home with me, but that was kind of creepy. And uh, I asked the guys, I was like, hey, did y'all hear anything? No, no, we didn't hear anything. And then, uh, of course, Kurt turns on his recorder, starts listening, and immediately apologizes to me. And, you know, that's a private recording of his because we can't prove it was anything, but it was extremely interesting and very creepy because, you know, it's the unknown at this point. I can't see out of my tent 
and that's my biggest fear. I have to keep that tent open, but you know, I was tired and, but yeah, that was crazy. I can't, I don't know how to talk any of that. It didn't let yeah, me you, one, but. The, you know, uh, for me, you know, so I got to ask you, you know, six months to listen to audio, this, this affected you regardless of it was Sasquatch or not, but it affected you so much, uh, as an experience as a whole that, that, you know, it took you a time to wrap your head around it, fathom it, and, and go back and listen to the audio. I mean, how? what's behind that? I mean, uh, like you said, you're a believer, but you're trying to, you know, trying to do things scientifically and be um, skeptical at the same time. What an experience. I mean, uh, there's little else yeah, to be was... in a lot of ways. Right, and that was the thing was I wanted to get my head clear and and recall on my own what had happened before I went, you know, to make sure thinking and what these recordings were going to, you know, reveal. Because, I mean, everything's on there. You know, our conversations I'm having with these people, you know, each day they're on there because we had those recordings on all the time. And um, I just wanted to be really clear with myself and not, jump into the emotional idea that that was a Bigfoot and this happened and that happened and, you know, my credibility to myself, my family, other people is important to me, especially to myself and to my husband and our kids. And and it was, it was very traumatic in a sense that it didn't, the, the, the idea of it all didn't bother me at that moment as much as it did after after the fact. Then I kind of, you know, went back to start thinking about it and realizing this was something, you know, and it definitely knew I was there. That was what was kind of creeping me out was this thing's watching me. Whatever it is, it's paying attention to what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, so I just needed to get myself back into, you know, the Texas world and be – just kind of calm myself down and, and I didn't talk about it to anybody except for you guys, you know, Monica, I told her and, and, and I told you, you know, you were there and, uh, but really for the most part, I mean, my kids know and my husband, but a lot of my family don't know about it to this day. It's still very hard for me to kind of wrap my head around it. And I just needed to kind of step back from it and then finally sit down and listen and, uh, and, and I think that was the best thing for me to do, you know, instead yeah. of getting really excited and, and you know, is it just to step back away from it for a minute, you know. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm and, very... and, and, yeah, I was going to say, I, I uh, Larry Turner and I showed up kind of late to, to, you know, we did join you guys. We showed up late um, after mm-hmm. everything had transpired. Um, I had, uh, I think it was the, 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 the following morning after the, uh, everything was possibly thrown at your camp went out. Um, I had gone up early, and I heard a couple of knocks that I found intriguing. It was pretty early. I got up, uh, mm-hmm. I forget exactly, I think five thirty six in the morning. I heard a couple of knocks that were intriguing to me. Um, but uh, And then, of course, I was filled in on uh, what transpired. I listened to uh, what Kirk had um, recorded, and that was interesting. I was like, wow. And I, I talked to you and Nathaniel and got both your guys' perspective on what transpired during the, this possible sighting. And then, um, you know, after these 
possible knocks I had heard, uh, you know, I don't know what, what what they were. They were intriguing. Larry and I had ventured off, and, and a quarter mile away, we found an impression in some very fine, um, it, was on a, it was on a trail, very fine dust, I mean dirt. It was like dust. And yeah. if the sun if the sunlight wasn't shining on it correctly, we would have walked right over it and missed it. But it just happened to be that we were looking for, you know, traction impressions. And right on this trail was one of the um, most interesting impressions I've ever seen personally. I, I've seen a lot, but this one was in the in this really um, dusty material, uh, you know, soil content, and. Um, uh, we would have missed it, like I said, had it not been for the sunlight. It was, you know, it was early morning, the sun was coming out through trees, mm-hmm. and this impression was there. And you can make out, and I have the pictures, <laughs> you can make out toes, a heel, and a large foot. And I was just blown away. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And this is about a quarter mm-hmm. mile away, uh, if even that. And, um, you know, it wasn't castable. Uh, if you poured anything on it, it would have destroyed it. The wind was kind of picking up and was blowing over it. I mean, this was a fresh. Mm-hmm. Whatever step there, it was fresh. And right. um, I cast it, but it just wasn't going to happen. You know, I didn't have any hairspray on me, you know, to maybe try and cast this. And, and I don't think it would have been possible. I just don't. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, that impression was pretty pretty interesting to me. And uh, so I, I did take back something physically, you know, uh, with via pictures and whatnot, um, that I found very interesting in this area. And this area has historically a lot going for it, as you wow. know, and I'm sure Monica knows and um, many others know. But this area is a, a freaking awesome area um, historically mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of stuff going for it. So very um, experience was very compelling to me and interesting, especially knowing you, Shelley, and know how skeptical you are, and uh, knowing Nathaniel York and how skeptical he is, um, even though he's had his his uh, a sighting and mm-hmm. his own experiences. Um, but for you guys to draw, I mean, basically identical, <laughs> without discussing this between yourselves, uh, kudos to you on that, but drawing identical almost uh, de- depictions of what you guys saw, that is outstanding and and not only outstanding but like i said for you saying let's not discuss this let's let's uh let's uh sit on this and and draw what we saw and talk about it tomorrow uh that was uh uh, amazing amazing stuff well i just don't want i feel like in those you know it's hard because we all want to go out and research together and because there's benefits to that, you know, and we can set up down here, y'all set up over here. But when people find something of interest, it can get blown out of proportion no matter how how honest you want to be. And it just, you know, it's almost like a social hysteria and people get excited, especially when you've got Bigfooters looking for Bigfoot. I didn't want that to to weigh on me at all. I wanted it to be as clean and as pure as I could, and that was all I could think of. You know, we had the recordings, and that was great, you know, because that's not us. That's, I mean, you can hear us talking, but you can also hear what we're hearing. 
But from what we saw, we didn't have any, you know, the flare was not aimed at that direction. And or the other flare wasn't aimed at that direction either. That was all I could think of was, you know, mm-hmm. how can we get something out of this where I feel secure in the fact that it's not just me saying, yeah, 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 you know, I don't want, I just feel like, because at that moment it's so quick, you know, it's so quick, you're still questioning yourself. And you know me, Shane, I even was like, no, that wasn't a print, that was Nathaniel. You know, at that moment yeah. I was trying to discount not only myself but everybody else. I'm like, no, 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 we can't say that, you know, because that's how important it is for me. So, you know, a lot of people get pissed off at me because I've tried to discount mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, but, hey, I've discount myself before anybody else. <laughs> And you know that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I <laughs> so it was, it was hard, you know, but it was exciting. But at best, it was interesting, you know. But I do listen to the recordings of those Woodnocks all the time. And the, the other stuff, you know, days later was just incredible. But did we see what it was? No. And that's just the hard part. So. Yeah, and and that's that's bigfooting. Uh, Cliff, Cliff Berkman, <laughs> a good friend of mine, says all the time that's bigfooting, and he's right. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the times we, I mean, actually we just don't see most of the time what do, what makes these mocks and stuff that we associate possibly with Sasquatch. We don't see what's tossing stuff in the camp. Uh, that's bigfooting. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. you did see something that night, and so did Nathaniel, and it's open to mm-hmm. speculation. Um, but. Uh, you know, it's very intriguing, very intriguing. Once again, another uh, maybe, you know. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, and and that area, too, uh, it was my first time up in that area, and I've known about it for years. But my first time up in the area, and, and the things that stood out to me were the water sources, the abundance mm-hmm. of wildlife. Driving up there, I saw elk, I saw deer, um, mm-hmm. abundance of wildlife. And just the general area was – you just felt like you were out there, and uh, once you got past some of the camping areas, you were really out there. It is remote mm-hmm. and, some, and, and amazing, and just the history. And so, you know, we can leave it at that but and say that uh, I have no doubt you'll be back there. Oh, I've already booked the flight, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get Monica. Um, we got to get Monica up there. We got to yeah. get Monica back up to the Pacific Northwest ASAP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it up there. <laughs> yeah, well, are you uh, you going to be out here anytime soon, Monica? I know Shelly is. I know Shelly is too. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see um, how much uh, vacation time I get this year, if I'm able to spare any, because I've got a lot of traveling to do for the show, and then I've got um, uh, another expedition out in North Georgia with um, my friend Angela um, in October. So. Only got so much time I'm allowed to leave. Mm -hmm. And Monica and I both have started new jobs, so probably our busy time is going to probably be more towards the fall, I think, as far as really getting to go out and uh, do some southern investigating. Um, Mm -hmm. Would you say, Monica? Yeah, plus it's a better time because, I mean, let's mm-hmm. face it, who wants to be out when humidity is at like 90% right. and it's 110? <laughs> right. Yeah, miserable. I don't even yeah. Sasquatch want to be out there at that time. Yeah. 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 And I it, can't imagine anything does. 
and the snakes and the mosquitoes and the hogs and all that are pretty abundant right now. And I, yeah. I had to stop fishing the other day because of the snakes. And, uh, yeah, they're pretty. Yeah. It's just hot here. It's just, I don't know why Sasquatch would want to be here in the summer anyway. It's just so stinking hot. <laughs> so. Truly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? But one of the interesting things um, that I wanted to point out and would love some feedback on is um, when whether you're, you're out researching or you're just out camping, uh, whether you get experience or not, you know, it seems to me that if, if the smaller the group, uh, the better chances of uh, an encounter or experience. And also, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm very big on having a female in, in a group, a small group. I'm not big on these big uh, groups going out and doing stuff. I do partake in it, and we've had some things happen, um, possibilities. But I'm very much a part of the idea of smaller groups, uh, doing research, um, doing like almost like a camping theme, you know, not actually trying to make yourself uh, look like a, a, a researcher out there knocking and calling, but smaller groups. But I love having a female in camp. Um, whether it means anything or not, I don't know, but I tend to think that there's uh, something to it. And, and Shelly, you've been a part of my thought process on this because of some of your experiences where I've been present when not in others. Um, I could look at you know, many of the females that I know that have had experiences, like Cindy Dose and whatnot, uh, Cindy Cadell. Um, um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, are you a proponent of smaller groups and, uh, uh, you know, a female being present in camp? Uh, I'll, you uh, know, Monica and Shelly, you know, take over. I think, you know, it just depends. I mean, it depends on the area. It depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think if you've got 50 people out in the field, you're going to get a ton of results necessarily because you've got 50 people in 50 different directions doing 50 different things. Um, right. But I would say that the most activity that I'd had um, in Area X in south south uh, eastern Oklahoma was um, there were one, two, three, six, three, there were about eight of us. So, I mean, that's a fair-sized group. And that's a fair-sized that, group, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, it's not huge, but it, I wouldn't consider no. it small either. Um, that was the most activity that we had had. And as far as, you know, women, again, you know, I, I mean, I've been on all-female expeditions. You know, I did the Monster Quest where it was all women for a week. And right. I did the, the initial BFRO all-female expedition here in Texas. And, and honestly, I don't see, I mean, I think it's helpful. It's probably better to have a woman mixed in with the men. I think there is something to that. But, you know, on both of those expeditions, I can't say that I had anything really profound happen, that there was anything different that happened during those expeditions as opposed to ones I've had with mixed company, you know, with men and women. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think there's something to having a woman as opposed to all men, but I don't know that it's necessarily right. a game changer, especially having all women out. Because, like I said, I've I've been a part of that and hadn't really experienced anything different. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shelley, what are your what, what's your opinion? Well, both times I've had anything possible happen, I was the only female. 
mm-hmm. which I think I, in smaller groups, absolutely. I just prefer it that way, and I'm like you, Shane. And, and Monica, too, I mean, we go out with bigger groups, you know, but if I have it my way, I would prefer it be at the most five people. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier for them to keep up with five people. <laughs> and Monica easier for ourselves to keep up with five people. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it just, yeah, I prefer smaller groups, but it usually ends up, you know, so-and-so and gotten so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and which is fine, but, you know, and, but yeah, I, I, uh, as far as the women thing, I think, you know, if they're in the area, to me, it's not, you know, a lot of it is, are they really even in the area? You know, are we, are they there? You know, just because they've been there before doesn't mean they're there today. Right. You know, and what, and I think, honestly, if you can get their attention to bring them into the, you know, close to camp to observe you and you just go on about your business, I'm, I'm sure that a woman's voice could, I don't know, have some play into it. I'm not sure. But anytime I've had anything I felt was of any interest out of all the outings I've been on, I was the only female. Now I've been on an outing with another female for a period of time and nothing happened, but I also believe there was nothing in the area at all. Yeah. So, you know. It may or may not mean anything, but I have to look at that as a possibility and something that, you know, uh, not that I'm using a a woman uh, or a female researcher as bait, but it is something of interest to me, you know, uh, something of interest, definitely. The oh, other thing I find interesting. Oh, go ahead, Shelley. I was just going to say, no, I find it really interesting, and I believe, you know, I'm excited that I am a woman that gets to go out. I feel like it can't hurt, you know, for sure. It can't. It can't. It can't hurt. You know, I mean, uh, worst case scenario is you just absolutely get nothing happen, which is, you know, nine, you know, almost ten times out of ten or nine times out of ten, right? So, right. Uh, yeah. So. But one of the other interesting things, uh, and I do want to get to uh, uh, to uh, your podcast. I want to talk about your podcast here, but and your future plans and whatnot. But one of the interesting things uh, that um, I'm aware of is, you know, the BFRO database, the database there has they get so many reports. I mean, they get an unbelievable amount of um, uh, people sharing the reports to you know to them that never get investigated. And I know this for a fact. They never get investigated. Loads, loads and loads and loads of reports are shared and sent to the BFRO that never get investigated. Uh, And there's a couple reasons for that. Obviously, one, they're not interesting. Two, there's not enough researchers to do it. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's multiple reasons. But, I mean, when I, when I, when I, I hear stuff like that and I, I see stuff like that, I'm I'm kind of blown away, and because the general public is not aware of the amount of reports sent, not just to BFRO, but to many groups that are just never shared. I mean, to me, that's if they were shared, uh, regardless uh, if it turned out to be an animal or something else. I mean, but more importantly, the ones that are uh, very compelling or interesting, that are out there for the public it might stir even more interest in the subject. I mean, 
you guys, I think, would have to agree that there are there are probably more reports uh, in sightings and encounters not shared than than are shared. Um, do you guys agree? Sure. Yeah. 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 Totally it's truly, agree. Um, yeah, it's truly phenomenal to me that there's this many reports and encounters out there that aren't shared. Uh, and, and obviously, you got to take percentages. There's going to be knowns and and you know misidentifications went out. But to me, that's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. That the amount of reports that go unshared, um, that never that, that aren't filtered, that never get um, taken seriously, it, it's actually uh, mind-boggling. But uh, you know. Maybe not a topic tonight for discussion, but something that's been on my mind personally um, that I wish there was a better way of of vetting these. Um, you know, if, if science took this, could take this a little more seriously and get on board, and it's a long shot, and I know what, what it will take. I think we all do, but um, it, it might be better vetted and looked at. Um, I mean, what's, what's, what's it going to take, guys, in your opinion, and I think I know we're all probably on the same page here, but what's it going to take to get, you know, science academia involved, uh, and do we want them involved? Um, Go ahead, Monica. Well, first of all, I am probably going to get hate mail for it, but I believe that it's going to take nothing less than a specimen, probably more than one, um, before anybody takes it seriously. I mean, do you agree, Shelley? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That's science. That's the way it's always. That's the way they're going to do it. If it's if a body comes to, you know, if some crazy farmer gets tired of him stealing his chickens and he blows one out <laughs> of his chicken house or whatever, or blows off an arm <laughs> or something, that's what it's going to take. Or one gets hit by you know a logging truck, then we'll that's. I think that's the only way, honestly. I don't mm-hmm. think any film, mm-hmm. any recording, and yeah, I think that's not going to work. Yeah, and then they're going to come out of the woodwork, you know, if if there's actually a body that shows up. And you know, another thing, Shane, about you were saying, you know, all these reports that aren't getting shared. Think of how many people that don't report what's going on because they're scared that they're going to be taken. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's it is. thousands of those those people and a lot of old timers, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're and, just talking about we're we're just talking about those that are sharing it to these sites and and, re, and uh, uh investigators, researchers. Yeah, and that's a great point, Shelley, but all the ones that are not even being shared or told or mm-hmm. you know, that aren't known that even that to me is even more mind boggling. <laughs> mhm. Well, you know, it, for me, someone that doesn't. How many times has someone shared their story with you and then said, "No, I don't want to go on the air. You can't tell anybody." You know, those yeah. people uh, have a lot yeah. more credibility than those that are so willing to share. In a lot of cases, not in all, of course, but you know, when they will speak to you, but then they don't want to speak to anybody else or they have never talked about it. Those are the ones I'm really interested in. Yeah, you know? and, and those happen more times than not. Those are the ones mm-hmm. that, you, like you, Shelley, I find very compelling and interesting. Those are the ones that, um, that you know, they want to tell me, but they don't want it out there. They don't want their name shared. They just want to uh, 
tell somebody um, and, you know, maybe get uh, um, someone just to listen to them, and, and that, that's good mm-hmm. enough for them, you know. Um, they don't necessarily want feedback. They just want to share it and get it off their chest, and that, that happens more times than not. And to me, that is, you know, those are the ones that are, like you said, um, the most compelling ones, the most interesting ones, because there's no, there's nothing, be, there's nothing behind that. There's no malice. There's no uh, hoax. It's just, hey, this is what happened. Um, I don't want to talk about it more, but I'm going to tell you what happened. Mhm. Oh, an interesting, just an interesting story, and I hadn't even told Monica about this. This happened to me the other day at work. Um, one of the girls I work with. I told her I was going to be gone for the summer and told her why. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. That's what you do. And I said, yeah, really, that's what I do. And she said, well, you know what? My grandmother told me for years that the Dallas Zoo, (laughs) I was just, I was shocked when she said this. She said years ago, and I want to say in the 40s or 50s or, but in the Dallas Zoo, they had this animal that was this big, hairy, she said it wasn't a gorilla and it wasn't, you know, she didn't know what it was. Her grandmother couldn't say what it was, but it was this big, hairy thing that stood up on two feet. It was very aggressive. And they had it at the Dallas Zoo for some some period of time, and then it disappeared. Somebody came and took it away. And, of course, my first thought was, is your grandmother still alive? And she's like, yeah, but she's crazy. I said, that's all right. I want to talk to her. And I've been trying to go in and research anything from the, you know, the newspapers to see if I can find anything about it, and I haven't. But I thought, wow, how interesting is that, that um, Somebody says something like that. I mean, I don't know where that'll lead, but I'm surely going to look into it. Have you ever heard anything like that, Monica? No, <laughs> I haven't. No. <laughs> you think there'd be quite a bit of press on something yeah. like that, though? <laughs> well, that's what I thought too. You know, of course. I mean, but that might be an interesting story our show could investigate. But absolutely, it's just weird. Yeah. I, you know, you know, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say I I would listen to a show like that. That's very interesting, and a lot of times what happens uh, I think in scenarios like that, whether you know if if it is true, is people don't know what they're dealing with, and and stuff like that gets buried. It's just not shared, you know. So it'd be an interesting uh, story to cover. Mhm. Well, it it just immediately almost took me back to the to the stuff like with the Smithsonian Institute, you know, with the giants mm-hmm. and how they were there and then they disappeared and, and such. But I don't know. I'm sure it's, it's been, you know, just something that was a fluke or somebody said, somebody said, you know, but it's still, I thought, wow, you know, that's crazy. That's, I will I seriously have tried to look into it, but I haven't had much time since I'm fixing to leave, but it will be something on my list of things to look into. Oh, fantastic. Please do. You know, speaking of the Smithsonian, I'm not into conspiracies and whatnot, but there's no doubt the Smithsonian and many other museums hold uh, relics, um, things found that just haven't been studied, that they haven't buried away that periodically someone goes back and researches and makes a new discovery. I mean, that's the truth. That's not a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. There's just not enough people, and they have so a vast, 
uh, library oh, the of stuff. Oh, the archives are giant. Yeah. Giant, mm-hmm. exactly. And and the amount of discoveries out of the, I mean, that's Indiana Jones stuff there. I mean, imagine going through that stuff and just, uh, you know, the amount of species that haven't been discovered yet that they have in their, their, their libraries. and Yeah, it's phenomenal. And, uh, wow, what a job that would be to go through that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do y'all think anybody's ever killed a Bigfoot? I, I do think I think it's a possibility. anybody's ever killed one? Yeah. I do, yeah, too. I think it's a possibility, definitely. Sure uh, happened. Go ahead, guys. I mean, uh, I, you posed a question, Shelley, but I'll, I'll speak first and say I think it's a, it's a possibility. Definitely it's a possibility. Um, whether it, you, you look at some of the Native American stories uh, mm-hmm. of this, uh, you know, there's stories out of Canada, uh, out of, uh, you know, North, you know, uh, the United States here, uh, um, historically, there's there's many a story, and there's some recent stories uh, that are interesting. Um, but uh, you know, it's uh, where's the proof? There's no proof. It's another story, unfortunately. Um, but uh, do I think it may have happened? Heck yeah! It, it I think there's a high probability that it's 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 uh, happened. Only two, more than once. <laughs> oh sure. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. Um, so, guys, uh, I want to talk about your your uh, podcast, uh, this brand new podcast that you guys have going on here. Um, it's uh, you know Strange South Radio, and uh, I want to know um, why you guys decided to partake in this endeavor, and what are your plans for it, and where are some of the places you guys are going, and who are you going to be working with? Uh, Monica, you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. Um... Well, I came up with the idea for Strange South because, um, well, I just love mysteries. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a Bigfoot researcher. Uh, but, you know, my interest isn't just limited to, to Bigfoot. I mean, I, I enjoy paranormal investigations. Um, I used to have my own paranormal group for a short while, um, but Bigfoot just consumed too much of my, mom, my life, so I couldn't do both. Um, and then, you know, there's other, you know, legends and haunts. And, you know, local folk, folklore um has always been something that interests me. I mean, regional, local, you know, finding stories that maybe I would never hear if I wasn't traveling or if it weren't shared with us um, in these small communities and things like that. You know, I'm just, I'm curious and I want to get out and search. And Shelly, I mean, she lives near me. She's my good friend and she's one of the best researchers I know. So Mm -hmm. why would I not bring Shelly on board with something <laughs> like that because I mean she's just as critical as I am probably a little more critical and I mean she's very methodical I can trust her she's very honest if she tells me something a certain way I can believe her 110 percent and um, she's very trustworthy and and you know it's it's an adventure for us and um, and I crave adventure and like I said I have so many varied interests that um, I thought it would be fun to get out and roam the south and find these legends and ghosts and haunts and monsters and and get out there and investigate them and shine a light on them and share them with, with everybody, everybody who cares to listen. And uh, we've already done a little UFO bit with um, Nick Redfern, who's awesome, love mm-hmm. Nick. And um, in the future, I mean, we're going to be working with various researchers. I know Lyle's already agreed to go out with us. Um, when he has the time, he's a busy man. <laughs> yeah, Lyle Blackburn. Uh, yeah. Yes, Lyle Blackburn. 
And, um, you know, we're, we're open to working with every researcher. The only thing um, that I think Shelley would agree with that is required is that you're honest. Don't try to fool us because we'll catch you. <laughs> we'll catch yeah. you. Uh, but, um, you know, I mean, it's really unique in that it's it's driven by our fans and by the listeners. And um, you send us your stories in the South, you know, um, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Carolinas, Tennessee, um, Kentucky, you send us your stories and a little background on it and we'll do some research and, you know, we'll eventually make our way out to your town and look into your legend and your story. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, Shelly, what, what's your, what's your role in all this? And, uh, you know, what are your plans, uh, for the show? Well, I, I want to say thanks to Monica for, you know, if it wouldn't for Monica, I wouldn't know half the people I know. And same to you, Shane. And and I, Monica is an awesome researcher, and I love her to death. And I can trust her too. I know, I know I can. We're on the same plane, you know, and our thinking is is right in key with each other. And I appreciate how much she's done for me as a researcher and as a friend. She's been nothing but wonderful to me and um, I just have to thank her for that and love her dearly. Um, and I'm really excited about what we're doing. Um, Monica is, you know, her, 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 her thoughts of paranormal and those type of things are way more vast than what I've ever you know, really gotten into with it. But I'm interested because there are some things out there that I feel, you know, like the orbs and such are an interest to me because a lot of people try to associate those with Bigfoot, and I feel there's something completely different, and I'm really interested in looking into those kind of things, Um, UFOs and ghost stories. The ghost stories probably... Monica knows. <laughs> She's like, girl, we're going in. And I'm like, shoot a gun. I'll leave that to you guys. Any, <laughs> I, I know. Well, Shane, you know how I feel about it. I'm like, I don't know. Do I need to bring some holy water? I mean, I just, but, and I give her a hard time about it because she knows how I am. You know, I'm like, you want to mess with a demon, we're going to get a demon. And I'm not really prepared for demon but i find that i know demonologists were good (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i find it's going to be interesting and i think it's going to be really cool and that and another thing is we have so many friends that are involved in in other things other than bigfoot you know and lots of other cryptids and and such i mean the other day i was at my doctor's office and told him what i was doing and First thing out of his mouth was, well, I've had a UFO encounter. I watched one land right in front of me, you know, and this is a gentleman that I've been going to see since I was 14 years old. And I pretty much believe, you know, he's not lying to me. So, and then I had another relative call me and say, hey, I think I have a ghost in my Sweet. in my barn. Yeah, so I was going to tell wow. Monica. <laughs> you guys are booked. You guys, you guys got a full schedule. Holy moly. Right? Like, it's just up the road, and they're like, so you need to come out. Would y'all come out? And I'm like, sure. Let me gather up my 
investigative friends that are experts in that, you know. And uh, but I'm also interested to see if it's some natural phenomenon, you know. I mean, I don't know, but yeah. I find that it's compelling as far as the way I look at it. It may be a little different from the way everybody else looks at it, but I think that will make it an interesting show for us. Well, you know, I'll yeah. tell you what, you guys. I find you guys both very interesting, and I have a huge amount of respect for you guys. And uh, I will be listening to Strange South Radio. I recommend uh, those listening to Monster X do so as well. Um, you guys are going to really uh, be adamant about uh, putting on a good show and getting down to the nitty gritty and get down to the facts. How can how can people um, uh, report stuff to you guys? Where can they uh, reach out to you? Uh, our email address is strangesouthradio at gmail dot com. And we also have a Facebook page, Strange South Radio, and we also have a YouTube account, um, which is important because as we do our investigations, we're going to be recording quite a bit of them and posting them to our YouTube channel, um, and we'll refer back to them as we're doing our podcasts. So we'll put the video out first. Yeah, and you'll be a part of that. And uh, we're going to be kicking it off with Ohio this weekend, so you can look forward to some cool video coming out of there. Yeah, big conference this weekend, and I look forward to um, hearing back from you guys and, and viewing what you guys, uh, in, you know, have to share from that conference. And down the road here, what you guys have to share with your uh, Strange Health radio program, um, you know, once again, folks, uh, give, give uh, you know, join, jump on Facebook, give Strange South radio a like, and uh, expect good things from uh, Shelly and Monica uh, I just want to thank you guys for joining me tonight on Monster X Radio. Really appreciate it and love having you guys on the show. Thank, thank you. We loved it. We appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Well, well. once again, uh, thank you for joining me um, you know, here on Monster X Radio. And we'll be back next week, folks, uh, with another um, stellar show with uh, uh, fantastic guests uh, as we've had tonight. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Have a great week. Thank you all. Good night. Thank you. Night. Night.